0: Welcome to the Dividend Talk podcast, episode 50. Has buyer made the worst acquisition of the decade? Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dividend Talk. I'm your co-host, Engineer My Freedom, and today I'm joined with European DGI. This is a podcast where we discuss our passion for dividend growth investing with our own unique European flavor. If you're new to the channel, please hit the like button and subscribe to us and check out our previous episodes on YouTube and Spotify. See you on the inside. hey european dj another thursday night we're recording early this time
1: yeah definitely i mean weekends are busy for us uh, these two weeks so that's why we're not on the friday um yeah true that's uh lots of fun i must say i was really looking forward for this show because honestly um, i know we will talk a bit later about it but we haven't really spoken about buyer yeah it's a very very interesting case study i would say so i'm really looking forward for today yeah, we've kind of
0: mentioned them in passing a few times, and and we we never really explained our thoughts behind it or, or anything. So we'll have a little look at, at their acquisition of Monsanto, and and the ripple effects that that has caused. But before that, let's have a look at some news this week. Um, I might start actually with climate change because I, lo- I live here in Ireland, and I don't know if you can see that window beside me, but it's still raining. So. I don't know where these climate change people are getting their information from, but it's it's certainly not affecting me over here. But it has had big impact on two companies that you own and one for me. So one is ExxonMobil and one is uh, Shell. So Shell ended up going to court this uh, this week in the Netherlands. And now they're being forced by, uh, by the lawmakers in the Netherlands to cut their emissions by 45% based on 2019's levels in the next in the next 10 years i think it's it's a little bit harsh on them to come from a court i think um maybe these lobbyists and activists should be targeting the governments more than more than the companies. well themselves. actually
1: um to help you there a little bit because there has been something before this with shell so actually if i remember correctly two years ago or something like that citizens have uh, prosecuted the government that the government is not doing enough against climate change Mm. and they won the court case i think at the supreme court so also the netherlands as a government had to step up and do more i don't know if it was with the uh, paris climate agreement or something like that in reference to that i don't remember exactly um and then a part of the people that prosecuted the state as i remember also took it then afterwards on shell yeah and there's some uh, i think some big money behind it from uh, climate activists and such and actually honestly i think um, i have have a mixed feeling about it i think shell was already progressive if you look at it from an oil industry and all oil majors point of view Mm but from the other side i think it's uh, it's good that there's that it's not just like out of goodwill from the company but that there is some really force behind it now also by law by public because i think it uh, will push shell into the quicker into the transition and i think um i said usually companies in my opinion invent better when they are under uh, severe pressure compared to uh, doing it out of goodwill yeah but why target shell solely shell on this case I, I
0: don't see total or i don't see bp being involved in in anything here
1: um you know if you if you're living in the netherlands and you're targeting the government the shell is a logical company after that because it's uh, also mm. listed in the netherlands I, I be, like that I'd be and pretty there's sure. more um bad will to shell because also the uh, gas good. assets in the north Houses have been there uh, damaged because of the um, empty bubbles uh, subsurface. Also, there the the joint venture. I think it might even be with ExxonMobil and Shell and the government is also having a lot of bad press already for years. So, Shell hasn't got a good reputation in many areas of the of the country. It'll certainly make those other companies
0: sweat a little bit, because this is going to yeah. impact impact them. I, I would imagine if it happens in the Netherlands, it will eventually move more European-wide. I think um, it's
1: already happening. I think uh, this was just the first court case that was quickest brought to um uh, to this space. Yeah. And then we see then across the pond in, in the United
0: States, we have ExxonMobil, who's having a huge shakeup in the boardroom. Where I think one of the hedge fund is it engine number one, mm-hmm. I believe, was pushing to have more climate orientated people on the on the yeah. board. I think they pushed for four, um, and reports that I see say that they got two. And obviously, they were backed by BlackRock, which is I think the second largest yeah. investor in in ExxonMobil. So that'll have ramifications for them as well. And they, we said before, we haven't really seen them make but any again, str- yeah. strides to that so uh, that's certainly going to come along the way and if it does would that change your mind i know you i know you are holding on to your shares or making up your
1: mind would that change your? i'm making already for half a year my mind up on x mobile uh, i know i know <laughs> so and um it is just that you know i do blogging i do investing and with x and mobile is a hard case for me Yeah, because the yield is good so for me it's rather a question about when to step out but i lost my trust already in the board of directors because of the denial what happened here is that the hedge fund i think they what did they own like 0.2 or 0.02 percent of the shares but indeed they got the institutional investors behind them to support them to back them up so they got two board members i hear I hear actually that those two board members are really uh, good. Yeah, they, these are not like people uh, loonies or something like that. They seem to be capable as well. Um, I, I don't see that really changing my opinion about Exxon Mobil. I'm, I'm, I'm actually rather thinking then of moving my shares into Chevron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or something like that. I'm just I, I'm, I just lost all my faith in ExxonMobil as a company as such. I have I find Chevron really interesting. They they invested a lot and they are now harvesting these investments. I find this company much more uh, realistic to the to the to, to its ecosystem.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it's interesting you mentioned about the two new members and they might be very competent to what they do. I just have an issue that if if board members are going in there with a specific agenda, which they have, they have only one agenda, which is climate change and and shifting the company to that focus are they really there for the best interests of the company or for their own best interests
1: I think for the hedge fund right the question is what is the hedge fund trying to get out of it if it's trying to get out a quick buck then there might be a common interest with with the retail investor Mm. yeah I don't think they are in it to short the company so in this case um I'm, yeah, I'm actually not too afraid, but the question is, do, do they follow the um, dividend invest, dividend growth investment, uh, philosophy, because if it is also about putting pressure on the dividends and everything, uh, then, then yeah, you know, then the dividend might be even at risk. I, I haven't heard anything of this, so, um, I don't expect it either because ExxonMobil is like at t many investors are in it for the dividend, not for the growth, mm-hmm. So that would be really stupid to do, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but if I see the CEO as well, I, I just, have, I just don't have really faith, and I'm still wondering why I still have them. It's probably because it's of the juicy dividend, I guess. Yeah.
0: If if those two board members are listening, remember dividends are good for climate change. <laughs> Keep paying those dividends. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, we might move on then onto our main topic a uh, little bit about Bayer. so did you want to introduce the company maybe just give an overview of maybe what they do and how they make how they make money
1: yeah so uh, Bayer is really really um, a traditional company in in europe um, most people know Bayer probably from the aspirin um, which is a consumer product. So paracetamol. Bef- you had aspirin. So oh, as aspirin. I, I... Aspirin, yeah. yes, okay, aspirin. Yes, aspirin. So if if we had children that had a headache, we got those uh, little pills that uh, tasted like lemon. We sucked on them, and then our headaches were gone. Right. So that that's the product that Bayer is known for. Bayer is also historically um, a really old company. Um, it was uh, actually in a joint venture. No, not in joint venture that let's say before the second world war i think it was together with bus f uh, a pre- uh, a predecessor or a company that's now under sanofi so a few companies together they had to split them up after the second world war due to some dubious uh, practices let's say like that um, and that, that's where Bayer resulted out of so their core has always been in um, in i said in chemistry and such they they spun off covestro a few years ago i think just before the monsanto deal around that time so the materials business Um, but what it what is really now still known for is crop science and this was also one of its original um, verticals but they also bought monsanto so a lot of this is in the crop science the second pillar is pharmaceutical and they have for instance uh, a, a, um, how is it? A multi-billion uh, revenue drug called uh, Xarelto um, here as well, and the other one is consumer health, where we spoke about aspirin as an example, um, over-the-counter products uh, here. So this is what the company really exists of, and, and with those three main legs, it uh, earns its money. I'm not sure if they still have animal health as an example, um, but these are the three main pillars of the of the company, and it has been growing those businesses actually over the decades quite well and then then more recently um, we saw some hiccups in the engine here with uh, the acquisition of monsanto but maybe you would like to say a little bit more about this uh, acquisition its history and, and yeah
0: we, we, we might have a look at the timeline of it because it's it's quite interesting to follow what has actually happened so Around 2016, I think it was October 2016, the acquisition was agreed between the, t- the two companies. Uh, Monsanto was trading around $80 at the time, and the agreement was that the uh, buyer were going to pay $128 for So they were paying a nice premium for the company. The share owners agreed this deal in December, and it took roughly 18 months then for the deal to push through. So the deal pushed through in June 2018, um, which cost him $63 billion. Um, And to quote to quote the CEO at the time, he said, today is a great day for our customers, farmers around the world whom we've been able to help secure and improve their harvest even better. So they were quite bullish, bullish on this. So that was in June. In August of 2018, <laughs> they lost their first court case due to Roundup. And Roundup is is the product of Monsanto. So you've got (laughs) within two months of the acquisition completing, they're in court and they lose the first court case. I mean, talk about a slap in the face for investors. Uh, This was obviously going on behind the scenes a long time beforehand. It was I, I tried to find historical articles and nowhere that I found, maybe there was a the time, but nowhere I found were they really upfront about this, that there was a court case coming and that there was all these hiccups <laughs> going, going to happen. Now, maybe they thought that might be it, 2018, yeah. that, that might be it and it might go away, but no, not at all. In June 2020, we Bayer then announced that they were trying to resolve a major litigation against Monsanto, which we... Know that they settled for around ten billion at the time in in twenty twenty one. It was around that time actually I I invested in them because I thought thought this was done. Um, this litigation has hit by our hard. Their share prices dropped significantly, off nearly fifty percent, um, even more, and obviously cost ten billion to, to settle this case. And just when we think that's all done. In 2021, just just a couple of days ago, a US judge rejects their latest two billion deal for future Roundup lawsuits. Um so I suppose the key thing to, to know here is why why are they being sued? Why is Roundup being sued? And there was nearly 19,000 plaintiffs, as they're called, um, claimed that they have a type of cancer called Hodgson's lymphoma. Um, and they, they got this from from Roundup. Now, this type of cancer can take 10 years to be detected. So potentially people could have it and they won't know about it for 10 years. And uh, this is why I suppose they are so adamant in trying to close out future lawsuits because they know that people in 10 years time can still probably go and claim against them. So that's why they're that's being sued. They counter this and they have, countless studies out there saying how safe this is. Farmers have used it for decades and it is very safe. We don't see these type of litigations in Europe, um, but we know the culture between Europeans and Americans are quite different when it comes to suing people. Americans will sue you if you look at them incorrectly, whereas Europeans don't really have that culture. So it's quite um, it's quite a journey farmer and it's, it's quite costly my main issue is the transparency throughout this and shareholders feel this way because they are raising a litigation against buyer, buyer for this because of this lack of transparency and the money that's, I mean, shareholders have lost a lot of money. If you invested in 2016, when the price was above hundred, you're down nearly 50% and, and it's all because of this disastrous takeover of Monsanto.
1: Yeah. And, and they're there are really some dubious stuff here still, but what is actually also interesting in this case, right? So buyer claims, while well, the science is on our side yeah, but also the environmental, uh, what is it? The protection agency or something like that, the EPA yeah, in America has actually uh, supported uh, the claims that glyphosate, I think it's called. It's not yes. causing cancer. There's no no proof or something like that of this causing <laughs> cancer. I don't and know the exact wording,
0: but and that's what's catching that's what's catching them out because you would imagine okay they know this is coming up they'd stick a label on on it saying okay this might cause cancer, but they actually can't put that label on it because the EPA are saying well hold on now there's been no studies found to say that this causes cancer so they're trying to to go against science and lawmakers
1: <laughs> yeah yeah because the jury it's a jury-based system right there where people like normal people in the jury they they give the verdict over the case as well right so yeah they're really really in a in a difficult legal situation i think here and it's uncharted uh, territory i think from what i uh, read in the reports yeah because you know who, who are you go who are you going to fight a battle with so maybe both but you know what I also found really dubious I remember because I have shares from before 2016 I remember that um I think it was even a Dutch guy the CEO or a Dutch name before was seen as a little bit like old style something had to change and you know this Werner Baumann now he's the he's the CEO four weeks after he was CEO he, he made the deal and announced the Monsanto acquisition. Yeah, so it was clear there was something already uh, being cooked up there, probably mm-hmm. as part of a transition plan as well to follow up the former CEO. And this is really interesting, right? Sometimes I long so much back to this former CEO, just a boring CEO. The numbers were maybe not so exciting, but the share price would have now been probably on $150 or something like that. Yeah, instead of 50 dollars, uh, 50 mm-hmm. euros, and the 50 euros first 50 euros. That's what uh, opportunistic management costs. And I was profiling Werner Bauman uh, a little bit earlier, and he has never seen another company than Bayer. He is an internal clerk, worked his ass up via the uh, uh, finance departments Yeah, um, here, became also chief of strategy. Well, if we talk about strategy, I mean... I would not trust him to even write a strategy uh, in our company for the lowest level team that we have if, if this is his uh, track record. It's horrible. So, yeah. this person doesn't have any business big background in that kind of thing, doesn't come with a chemistry background. Or, and, well, what I mean with chemistry ha- hasn't worked in the field like that. He has always been in staff functions, right? Uh, supporting functions. Became the CEO, so he must be, he must be good in lobbying and, and hitting the targets. And without knowing the person personally, if you're... But I have seen this often more in other companies when a CFO becomes a CEO. And we saw this also with Peter Voser and Shell. They don't have business acumen. They don't have this. Because any idiot would have known that monsanto is a company that's hated by people i mean i before before it was acquired by Bayer, i think it was already on netflix yeah about where they were interviewing farmers and and people so you know if, if this is the you should have known that and the whole reputation damage it is just such a mismatch with the culture of Bayer that this would have been and this was for me actually when they bought them already a red flag i felt like it doesn't fit with each other right and then if you see this as well like to your point they must have known this these litigation cases it this was probably somewhere in the fine print as a, as a legal risk or something like that uh, uh, with this i i i don't understand why this ceo is still here <laughs> and i think even with the agm um there there, there was some noises he also straight away opened ah, we know we lost your trust we are going to rebuild your trust but maybe a part of the trust is also ceo and we should just get a new ceo there yeah but but his 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 term has been extended last year until t- to yeah.
0: 2024 yeah but they did it a bit in a sneaky way right
1: and,
0: and that seems to be a common theme that i'm seeing yeah in in the company i mean we talk about trust them and, and we spoke about AT&T in in depth about this as well and I mean how can you trust this board I I
1: find it impossible to trust this board and we have not even spoken about the terms of the deal here right because when you refer to AT&T they have one thing also in common they went with the deal from a goodwill from 14 billion to uh, 38 billion they went with intangible assets from 11 billion to 36 billion um what they've now been doing they've been writing off almost 8 billion of impairments on intangible assets after um a reevaluation of the of the valuation of those intangible assets in the crop science division mm. yeah so i wouldn't be surprised and and they're again not so transparent in the annual report about this but it, I, my, my thinking is is this then the roundup brand that was an intangible asset or something like that um they, they give some examples right but they don't use brand names and such and again uh, for me i think this this whole negativity has led to devaluation of of assets in in this space in the crop science yeah but there's still like 36 billion of goodwill on the balance sheet out of 117 billion this is really a lot for a company um, uh, like buyers so the acquisition also deteriorated their balance sheet uh, heavily so it's like really a double double-edged sword that they they have taken
0: yeah and and even when you look at their their debt equity uh, i mean at one point it was as low as 40 as percent it's it's up over 130 percent now it's
1: yeah, because what the impairments are doing is they are lowering the equity uh, yes. quite significantly. So the equity went from forty-seven billion to thirty billion. Yeah, that that's a third lower. Yeah. yeah. So you see that then in the debt figures back. It's 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 horrible what's happening here, and you know it's just the beginning, because uh, all the goodwill paid for Monsanto is still on the balance sheet. And we know that. We know that the litigations and such are there. It's still on the balance sheet, this stuff. Yeah, and, and
0: the litigations have to be paid from somewhere. It's affecting their free cash flow. Yeah. Which is affecting us as dividend investors. As we've seen with a recent dividend cut, it went from two eighty down to two. I mean, they they have to pay from that that somewhere. Um they they have a very conservative dividend policy as it is. They pay thirty to forty percent of core earnings. Um and always closer to the lower end of that so when we start to see uh, these figures being affected by court cases of course it's going to slash i think you wrote an article on that and and nearly if i'm right nearly predicted to the figure yeah how much they would cut that by yeah yeah
1: exactly yeah exactly and then you know we talk here about management and transparency but let's also talk about incentives yeah because uh, the chairman agrees on the um, uh, compensation plan for for the executives, right? And a large part of their, uh, how is it, uh, bonus is tied, compensation is tied to the core EPS. And you need to know that um, if we talk about base salary for for a person like um, uh, Werner Baumann, I think it's around 1.5 million or something like that, uh, euro per year. However, uh, long-term stock-based and and cash compensation is around, now it it differs a little bit between two and a half and three and a half million. So uh, approximately uh, the total, and uh, and by the way, short-term variable cash compensation is also around one and a half million. So in total, his his compensation is around five to six and a half million every year. Um, But if you then look at how the compensation works, yeah, it's free cash flow and core EPS. If you then look at the core EPS numbers, first the gap numbers, right? So I did the counting over the last uh, five years. So in from two thousand sixteen to two thousand twenty, there was only an EPS uh, accounting-wise of nine euro over those um, uh, uh, how you said five years. On the core EPS, it was thirty one euro. So for instance, the whole 2020 numbers had a negative EPS of, 10, um, of, of, of of 10 euro versus a core earnings per share of 640. So the whole Monsanto litigation case doesn't touch his bonus. It's crazy. Yeah, it doesn't. Or at least not, the, not this part of the bonus, a little bit on the free cash flow. But we have seen it in 2018 as well, yeah, where the core uh, EPS was 560. And the uh, earnings per share gap, uh, I think it's gap, was 180. All, And this means that his compensation didn't become 2 or 3 million. It stayed 5 to 6.5 million. So while we as shareholders saw the dividend cut uh, uh, from 280 to 2, we saw also the uh, share price cut in half from 100 to 50. The, I said, you could argue that actually the CEO benefits even from this because in these few years that is down, he's doubling the amount of shares that he's getting via stock-based compensation. He is effectively like buying back shares at the bottom. If you yeah. think about it like that, yeah. so he will even come much more wealthier out of it than most of us, because we have less dividends to reinvest. Yeah. So if you think of it, this whole incentive system, at buyer is just sick and it should be changed. Because it allows for all the negativity around this this acquisition to be kept out of the bonus, and this for me, um, like like where you see that shareholder interests are totally misaligned with with management interest, hundred percent, and and that's
0: that's the key the key line right there. It they are totally misaligned, and I can see why there is litigation against them from shareholders because they've completely hoodwinked everyone they completely yeah. hold with them all while they're reaping the benefits of cash and stock bonuses it's 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 crazy and how he got how how he's extended to 2024 i mean i don't know him personally and, and maybe
1: he's nice but he's he's not doing the only job he's supposed to do no, no no he's really incompetent for the job uh, i can say it a bit stronger there and i i, I i'm clueless and you know, so for me, Monsanto—he has this Monsanto all written over his life. Yeah, maybe he sniffed uh, too much Roundup in the past. I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> um, but this is his baby. Um, all the disaster is 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 on his uh, yeah. on on him as well. And the issue is that we as investors, shareholders, don't seem to be able to get him out. So, and and this is what you often see is that. If the governance is not right, and for instance, there are many, many small individual shareholders, it's hard to unite to make a strong voice. Yeah, and that's where where sh- where management teams benefit from. If there are a few large institutional investors like in ExxonMobil, it's a different story. If you get them behind you, yeah.
0: yeah. So why are analysts so bullish on this share price? I mean, the low the lowest price an analyst gave was one hundred euro. Which yeah. is which is nearly 50 percent rise from where it is right now
1: because they think like me like a value investor and they um, think that the litigation case will probably not be more than 10 billion if you then start looking at it from a multiple point of view and if you assume that there won't be any write-offs anymore in the for in the upcoming future you're talking about a pe of eight yeah uh, from the core eps and when you talk about pe of eight for uh, a company that has also pharmaceutical assets and such um, and, and generally, usually strong cash flow, then it is sounds really, really cheap. So if you're living with the narrative that it's behind them and that although even the court case now um, that you still think that the litigations will not be more than 10 to 12 billion, then this is a dirt cheap stock from that point of view. Yeah. The question is like, with the current management this track record uh, which has only been been a success of destruction yeah if you don't discount for that in the share price mm. yeah then it's cheap yeah
0: but but if you if if you look at the fundamentals if you look at what we look at revenue free cash flow growth i mean revenue right now in 2020 is the same as what it was in 2014 yeah uh, free cash flow has declined each year, since 2016. There, uh, there's been a massive drop this year, but before taking 2020 out of the equation, we still had four consecutive years of free cash flow declining.
1: So how many analysts do you know that predict lower cash flow uh, or lower earnings uh, in the next no, year? Th- how many th- do, yeah. Th- th- they're, not going to, they're not going to do that, but I mean,
0: uh, is this a value play or is this a company that is that is just- Broken. De- the broken and, and declining just full of mistrust and is it just going to hemorrhage money away and, and just start, so start I,
1: I'll, I'll I still own my shares from all the time um, but when I wrote that article last year I mentioned already at the time it's not a dividend growth company for me anymore but I did my valuation and I found it really on the cheap side so I moved it to my 10% bucket for um, uh, growth stocks or value store turnaround stocks i call them growth of turnaround so i, I labeled it as a turnaround because i thought like the opportunity costs are still too interesting for me to, if it goes back to 80 or 90 where i think it belongs after the litigation case then this is good money which i will not earn anywhere else so quickly so that's why i was thinking like that with this announcement today again and and, and this week I think I should start at least selling a part of it and mm-hmm. and deploy the money elsewhere. Um, I'm still a little bit in between, but you know, if it, if I hear my even self talking in this podcast about the CEO and about the management, it's just not worth my money. I, I should just take the buy the uh, buy the bullet and take the loss here. Which in my mind I already know it's a loss. So in my mind, I'm not thinking about my purchase price. I'm thinking about 50 as an anchor point. Mm-hmm. Yeah so that that past is not the difficulty for me um so i probably need to just cut the ties totally to it and never look back um to this i, I mean if you compare this to, to t right at&t yeah. you 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 caught them
0: you saw them at a drop of a hat yeah. um
1: because with at i was also in it for different reasons yeah um yeah but, but a huge part is we have mistrust from the board we it's have similar,
0: yeah. a, a change in thesis, so if a change in yeah. company dyma- dynamics, which which we both can see here, the only difference I can see on on your part is that going into at you are a little bit more skeptical. You are, and yeah. you were in them purely for the dividend, whereas you're a little bit more involved in, in buyer. So there's a little bit of maybe a confirmation, bias, but you're a little bit more of an attachment to a buyer, which means you can't let them go as easy as you did with ATT, t even though there were some similarities and maybe that's why you moved them to your value play or your growth company yeah yeah um, and in that sense which is which yeah, is you which might is be f- right there which is fascinating I've done a lot yeah. of which yeah.
1: because I've done a lot of homework on this company yeah? of course yeah so and the homework just tells me all over the place that this is a cheap stock if you don't if you don't discount the incompetency of management then this is a cheap stock yeah Mm. even even the litigations i think um um are suppressing the price too much it's like on uh, overacting towards the downside so that that's and and for me it is really like uh, um um just the the let's say the 8pe that i see and the potential that i see if they get this mess behind them yeah. but how much patience can you have for the having them this mess behind it so yeah you're true uh, i uh, you're right here that i know the company quite well from all the times i read all their stuff and such it's just yeah for, like i for, told you without monsanto it would have been 150 euro now yeah. not
0: 50. yeah for, for as long as they're in in the press negatively backed up in litigation I don't see that share price going anywhere anytime soon
1: yeah and and that's what with this news this week i'm also thinking like okay i'm not going to wait another year for it to move from 50 to 80. then i can better deploy my uh, money elsewhere mm. so
0: would you here's a question for you would you regret it if you sold and it did go to 80.
1: yeah of course i would regret mm. yeah, i'm human <laughs> But there is a thing uh, with that. Um, um, it would be um, it would not be a regret that I start blaming myself or something like that. It's more like okay, well, it's just the fate uh, uh, that I had. But because this happens sometimes more often, right? That that you sell it and you see something right, or although I don't sell so much, or but it could also be like you don't buy and suddenly it goes up, right? And yeah. then you also regret. Um, but it doesn't change my behavior usually uh, when I regret yeah cool it's 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 certainly a, fasc, a fascinating company um
0: i had bought like like i said i bought in june after the first settlement i sold straight away as soon as this settlement was was popped up and um, that the us have have rejected our 2 billion so yeah i don't know um, maybe maybe if if they sell because they have they have pressed boy i have said that they're going to stick to this 2 billion so mm-hmm. we'll see see there how that plays out and if they they can get that through over there then i'd be happy to, to take well, you it know um
1: if you ever need a, a ceo that is uh scoring 10 out of 10 uh, on den- being in denial then <laughs> uh take him i mean the only only thing i still sometimes have in my head and sorry for the german listeners but it's again a german company yeah yes. Volkswagen diesel wire Bayer, buyer and then we know that german regulators put a lot of effort on 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 a governance by having a two-tier structure in the boards and such and it, it just doesn't matter right if people wanna cook the books or wanna do wrong or are just plain stupid you can write as many letters and as you, you want it doesn't change a thing so
0: that's yeah, that's interesting it's very interesting and, and and maybe it's something that our german colleagues can their thoughts i'd love to hear their thoughts on it because mm, we've seen yeah. some of these companies with negative press but maybe there's examples where this two tier structure actually works and works quite yeah. well so it'd be nice to hear
1: yeah both mm-hmm. sides so worst acquisition of the decade and now the listeners questions <laughs> <laughs> cool so we'll start with our usual
0: phil he got in just in time this week um and he asked us what do we like better weeks with or without trading activities
1: with uh, for me without it's like uh, I, I don't feel feel nice I feel like I'm missing out on something <laughs> how about you um
0: from a dividend portfolio perspective weeks without trading I prefer not to look at it just let it do because it. i will be I'm, I'm always have that urge or tempted to do something uh, what, I, what I said is it going to drop so I prefer just to get my money every month put it in and buy a stock and and go away but I am doing a little bit more option trading, um, and obviously they are prefer weeks with trading. So it's like a different mindset for different portfolios. Okay, and Peter has asked us, what is your book recommendation for dividend investors? And I think he, he wasn't looking for beginner level. It was more like intermediate or, or above.
1: Um, yeah, I, I would definitely go for some accounting uh, accounting books. And with that, for instance, um, there's a really good book. It's called something like, um, I will put the link in the description of the podcast, but it's kind of um, analyzing companies yeah and uh, i don't know it's from uh, if it's from new york times or something like that but it explains everything what's on the balance sheet what's on this for media from 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 medium um i said uh professional point of view so sh- if you have done a little bit of dividend investing are familiar with pe and these kinds of things this is a good book because it explains you a little bit how to read the balance sheet and these kinds of things
0: uh, yeah yeah I, I went with the same kind of train of thought of you. So you can see I'm showing you the book. It's a, a book by Warren Buffet. It's called Warren Buffett and the Interpretation of Financial Statements. And honestly, it breaks down everything super, super easy, has every single term that you can need on the three financial statements and, and breaks it down really good. So whenever I'm going through and I'm stuck, I'll just flick through, go to the page and voila, it tells me what it does, so. Yeah. i'll put that link i'll put that link in the description as well
1: cool and then jago uh asked jago diaz what's the most undervalued company right now Ooh, most undervalued
0: maybe a hold maybe or maybe, if we're going on pe basis maybe buyer <laughs> yeah a buyer.
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um I find this question really hard to answer because there's no clear answer for me at this moment in time. Um I think uh Ahold Unilever um the maybe even uh, Re- realty income after the acquisition um I think they are good value. I think Aflac, which Chago wrote an article about I think is also good valued. Yeah, but I wouldn't call any company cheap uh, from an evaluation point of view at this moment in time. Yeah,
0: okay. Um, Odysseus has asked us, do you guys disclose your colleagues at work and family about financial independence and possible early retirement? How did they react?
1: So I think many colleagues at work know that I'm um, investing uh in dividends and with an with a goal to retire early um usually i i don't get any negative reaction rather like curiosity from few people that ask me questions how you're how are you doing this and such so more positive than negative but you know negative usually people don't uh, say so i also don't know therefore maybe be that some people think that they're jealous i don't know so but the people that respond are usually positive.
0: Yeah. People in work know, and my friends and family obviously know, in work, maybe you get this, when they ask you about investment advice or questions, it's usually about meme stocks, cryptocurrency, all this shite you see in the news Yeah, 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 that, yeah. that they see, and, and they want your advice on it. And and it's hard when I tell them, I don't really care <laughs> about that stuff. I'm a dividend investor. I have a different mindset. Um, yeah, I, I don't look at that. So they find it hard. Some of them find it hard. Okay, you're an investor, but you don't want to buy GameStop when it's going up like that. And I'm like, no. So, yeah,
1: I have I I have a similar experience. Yeah, I sometimes get really awkward questions. Questions are about precious metals. Yeah, I don't understand that stuff either. Um, I um, so that's also. And people expect when you're an investor that you understand everything in investment, like yes. all the things. Yeah. And I invest. I always say invest in businesses, yeah, not in stocks. And that's also really important to know. And when you invest in businesses, you start thinking different. Because mm. would you really like to own GameStop as a business? No. No. Maybe to make no. a few quick bucks trading, but not if, if you consider it a business.
0: And I, I get asked for investment advice all the time. Someone actually asked me to invest money for them. I'm like, not a hope,
1: <laughs> not a hope. Yeah, I, I I get it as well, and I find it really hard to give, and um, um, so I usually don't. Yeah, and 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 most of the people are not even interested in 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 boring dividend investing. So it's, it what, makes it also easy. What I do find funny is some of my friends and and and
0: maybe family think that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm super rich because I'm an investor. They have this perception <laughs> that I have. Uh, do you know what I mean? A yeah. shite load of money behind yeah, it because yeah, yeah. I'm an investor. I'm like, no, you can invest with as little as a hundred euro. I mean, I'm yeah. not, I'm not super wealthy because I invest, but I, but they have that perception for of me, and I get those kind yeah. of comments, which is, which is quite funny. But I mean, it's natural. People are curious, and people have this perception of of investors. Don't
1: they? Soon they will um, invite you to to those sh- chic parties and such because you're wealthy and you can go for free to all these kinds of uh, parties with champagne. Hey, fake it until you make it. and that, it's not Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> Good question.
0: Okay, Rafa has asked us any idea on the financial sector to add to the portfolio? Um, He knows you don't like banks, um, but he was looking at someone like BAM, Tro, or the Canadian banks.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I have no, no opinion about those. I generally, even if it has finance in front of it, I, I already uh, step away. <laughs> I, 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 I think it's, I think it's zero price, right? I hear yeah. a lot of good stuff on that in the dividend investment community. Yeah, I just I'm not competent about the ticker itself to, to give a meaningful uh, answer to that. I do like insurance companies a lot because they usually have recurring income and if they are able to manage their risk well, it's a really, really uh, good business for dividend investors. So insurance companies are the only ones where I consider myself a little bit competent, but all the rest, I don't even take the time of looking into it.
0: Okay, I'll give them one one company and bears would have thought about this company before and put them on my radar, but it's flow traders. They're Mm, like an um, investment bank and basically the more volatility in the market, the more money they make. They paid out a super high dividend this year because, because of the pandemic, lots of volatility. Um, So they're one that maybe to look at. I don't know if they're undervalued um, at the current price. They might be fairly valued, but they're certainly a good company to, check out in that sector
1: yeah. yeah good one
0: okay and then the last question is from a spanish guy <laughs> i can't pronounce his name <laughs> interest compuesto. okay and he has asked any comment on the acquisition of mgm by amazon and does any of us have a position in non-dividend paying stocks
1: so um I think Amazon is desperate for their Amazon prime to have some more content in there to have a little bit more than the Tom Clancy movies. Um, I think this is it. I find it a lot of money for MGM and it might even inflate other companies that are still out there in the market. And it clearly shows the streaming wars. So that's my thoughts about this. I think for Amazon, it's a bit easier than uh, at t to make a misstep on this because amazon can really quickly cover it with uh, one or two years of cash flow so i think that's how they probably saw it as a bit of pocket money yeah and, and, and in this case uh, for a normal company it's a lot of money for amazon probably a bit of pocket money and it buys them some content in the streaming wars so yeah. Do I have a position in any of the non-dividend-paying uh, FANG stocks? Yes, in Facebook and Google, not in Netflix. And the other two ones, of the, um, the other A is uh, Apple, and I also own some Apple, but that's a dividend um, payer. And I don't own Amazon, so Facebook and Google. How about you? I, I don't have any FANG stocks.
0: My son has Facebook um i always feel like i'm too late to the party getting in these they always seem so high even though they keep going up um and i have no absolutely no comment on mgm amazon i mean they have plenty of cash they have to do something with it right if they're, if yeah. they're not going to pay out dividends they might as well buy small companies and and get involved in streaming worse so fair play to me it, it could be it, look it'll be good for mgm shareholders no doubt um they'll benefit from it but where it fits into amazon they they buy a lot of stuff some stuff works some
1: stuff doesn't so we'll yeah. definitely see how that goes good one so thank you all for the listeners questions again like always we enjoy uh, really answering them and really some some good ones again this week it was nice yeah and um we haven't done a stock pick for a really long uh for a really long time because of all the earnings and we want to keep the podcast on under an hour but we got some questions can we reintroduce it again so to be clear it was never out introduced let's say <laughs> uh, we just didn't uh, just didn't fit in the calendar of the agenda but um, we're in between earning seasons so i'm really curious and i believe you have one today uh emfs yeah yeah
0: one that i wrote an article on maybe a couple of months ago was venovia which are a german read but if if you're from Germany, they're technically not a read because there's a, a fine definition there, but it's certainly a strong strong company in terms of dividend. They're a stable dividend payer. They have, uh, I think, their dividend growth rate was around fifteen percent over the last five years. Um, they are, what was it free cash flow payout ratio is about ten percent. Um of their earning, uh, uh, sorry, their free cash flow pay ratio is 10%. Their FFO pay ratio is about 65%, which is what you normally use for REITs. Um, they have recently put in the news that they are going to acquire another a company, a, a huge company, I think it's called Deutsche Wohin, and um, this was yeah. in the news this week. I, I haven't read too much about it. I know our dividend day group had had lots in it this week, um, but this is going to create like a super landlord, which is I think is is great news. There's a lot of negativity around Germany at the moment because there's legislation or there's the government are meeting in in is it September October, sometime later this year, and there's fear that this legislation is going to hurt landlords and push prices down and affect prices. But I think Venovi are a little bit safe from that uh, in in the sectors that they're in. And I think Berlin is one of the cheapest, am I right? One of the cheapest rents in in Europe. That's what our German uh, dividend day uh, uh, yeah. colleagues said. Yeah. So so it might not be as bad as Fear. So it's it's pushing their, their price down at the moment, which might be a good opportunity to buy them. Um, I bought some shares a couple of months ago. I haven't bought this, this latest dip. I know some of our European colleagues have, um, but I, it's one that I'm, I'm definitely interested in. I'm going to have a little look at them again this week, this weekend, just to be, to be sure that my thesis is the same. Does this, what does this acquisition mean? But at the time when I ran my fundamental analysis, they got a rating of 80. And um, mm-hmm. compared at the buyer who I ran, got a rating of 16. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, so so yeah. they ca- they came up pretty strong. I have a fair fair value price of about sixty euro. They're trading around fifty, I think I believe this morning. So uh, it's definitely anyone that that's interested in reads definitely someone to consider.
1: Yeah, cool, cool, cool. i I have this company already for so long on my to-do list for homework. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I've got 12 companies or so on that. So I just need to make more time for this. Maybe I need to take a, one time a week off from work and get through this whole to-do to list and uh, spice up my portfolio. Definitely yeah. one that I want to look into because I own two real, real, two reads uh, from the US and I could do with one from Europe. Mm. But I also like Castellum a lot. So which to choose? Yeah, Castellum yeah. or
0: Castellum. But, but the good thing about Venovia is that they have residential units in Germany. Sweden mm-hmm. and Austria and I know they're looking to expand maybe yeah. into Holland as well so you're you're getting exposure in a lot more geographical area than Castellum
1: maybe yeah and, and and residential more than office yes yeah also not unimportant good yeah.
0: good good thank
1: you nice one
0: okay so that's the end of the show it's been really good i really enjoyed talking about buyer um company that you know way way better than i do but it was interesting for me to follow that timeline as a dividend investor i have absolutely zero interest in in investing in them but as a value play if their shares were to double in price i'm certainly interested in that so i'm going to keep an eye on their case see if they can quash it and then i might might invest a small bit of money to see if i can follow them to the moon as they say
1: yeah and i have a lot of selling to do to do i just sold at&t as I, I should so, sell some ExxonMobil, mobile i should sell some buyer what i'm going to do with all this money maybe i just dump it all in venovia maybe that one yeah well it was
0: starting to sound like traders here <laughs> we're <doing a>
1: lot, <laughs> exactly exactly we're doing a lot of selling a lot of selling yeah true but it's better you know Usually, I still make profits on selling, not on buyer. Probably not like on Exxon but on AT and still made profits because that's one of the things. Right, we are not buy and uh, uh, hold investors. Yeah, we are buy and evaluate yes. investors. Once the fees changed, it triggers us to rethink: Are we in it for the right thing? And usually, with this, you you capture early learning, uh, early warning signs that actually prevent you from getting into trouble where i'm now with buyer yeah so yeah, yeah.
0: it's 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 like it feels like we're at a pivotal point in in, in this stock market we're, we're at the cusp of all-time highs in the bull market we've seen lots of big mature companies that are in turnaround situations it just feels like we're at a pivot point and and you're right it's True. The perf- it's the perfect time to evaluate your companies and and explore maybe better opportunities
1: yeah good one well emf like always it was my pleasure uh, having a chat with you again and to all the listeners have a great weekend and great week again june is starting enjoy the summer as well and um, yeah see you next time see you later guys